Well, welcome everybody to the Resilient Leadership Podcast. My name is Bridget Tyre, and as always, I am joined today by the wonderful Irvin Nugent. Irvin, how are you doing? Bridget, I am doing fantastic. A little uh, more rested in this episode as we speak. I just got back from an amazing 12-day tour of Ireland with mm. um, 16 amazing people, and we had a lot of fun and uh, um, a little bit of uh, interesting ending to it, which we might explore a little bit later in this episode. And But overall, I'm feeling really refreshed. How about yourself? I love that. I've been doing some traveling too. And uh, some of it was refreshing and some of it wasn't. (laughs) But today, uh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about navigating leadership anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is it? Where does it come from? Mm -hmm. Why is it that all leaders have some anxiety, whether they're consciously aware of it or not? Right. So to our listeners, you you might be thinking, well, I don't really have any anxiety. Oh, but a deeper look suggests that's not the case. And, you know, what is the impact of a leader's anxiety on them, on other folks, and then how can they manage it? So we're going to get into all of that. But I think what we want to say at the onset, and Irvin, I'm curious if you agree with this, is that anxiety is sort of part and parcel of leadership. It sort of comes with the territory. You agree? Yeah, I so agree. You know, there never, well, let me say this. There never was a moment when leadership was easy, <laughs> but certainly now, I mean, thinking back in the last five years, the curveballs as well that come with that. And so managing all of that, it is normal and expected that anxiety is, is part of the job description. Mm-hmm. And you know, it strikes me, Bridget, as well. We've talked a lot about anxiety, but maybe in the earlier episodes, but maybe it's a good chance for us to kind of revisit. Everyone has their own thoughts about what anxiety is, but uh, mm-hmm. what exactly is anxiety? Yeah, so it's important that we define it because I think it gets mixed up with stress and other related terms, right? And what yep. we're really talking about when we say anxiety, whether it's leadership anxiety or general anxiety, is it's a state of unease, right? It's a mental and emotional and physiological state of unease in the face of real or imagined threats. Mm -hmm. And that imagined piece is going to be a really important part that we're going to come back to, right? We are sophisticated threat detection systems, but sometimes we get it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so anxiety is neither good nor bad. It's an evolutionary force of nature. You know, it helps keep us alive because there are real threats in the world. And the last two years have certainly shoved that right up in our faces, right? That leaders need to attend to. So anxiety is not the problem in and of itself per se, right? It's kind of what we do with it that matters. But so, you know, Irvin, you've talked from time to time on these episodes about your own leadership journey. So I'm curious about, as you reflect on that, you know, what were your sources of anxiety as a leader? Do you remember where feeling anxious? Oh, oh yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I've been anxiety over some of the leadership experiences. You know, I think a pattern I noticed is towards the beginning of the leadership role. So in every leadership role I took on, there was an abiding anxiety within me about wanting to succeed. It was this internal pressure. 
mm-hmm. and that the weight of the a little bit of the feeling of the weight of the world depended on me. Yeah. Even though I, you know, I, I know intellectually that leadership is about teams and everyone pulling together, and and I'm a pretty much a team person, but I just felt that that internal pressure to succeed. And then other situations, Bridget, I went through leadership, you know, and economic downturns, and some tough decisions had to be made. Some programs were closed for all the right reasons. And yet within mm-hmm. me was this, this dual dose of anxiety. One was, was this feeling, first of all, you know, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So mm-hmm. I wanted, w- w- this is going to impact will people, how will people react when I do this? Would I have to fire people, let people go? Mm-hmm. And then the second anxiety is I was, uh, all these machinations of how are people going to react? And trying to imagine, you know, kind of the different reactions that I would experience and how would I deal with that. And then I think the third area was trying to lead in times where there just wasn't clarity and Mm. feeling that I needed to have answers and not able to really come up with any great answers Mm. and just feeling stuck and being anxious about that and feeling that I should have answers when when really I didn't or or there just wasn't any good answers. Mm. Gosh, I am certain that our listeners can relate to all of the examples, but especially that last one. Especially given, you know, in the last two years, leaders were on the hook for answers, for certainty, for clarity that they often couldn't provide. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there were no shortage of sources of anxiety for you. Some external, like just declining budget or programs that had to be cut and maybe people have to be let go to just your own self-imposed pressures. Absolutely. It's a really combination of the two. Yeah. And, you know, I think that really segues nicely into the the first idea that we want to kind of explore, you know, so yes, some of those things that were happening were out of my control. Others were kind of more internal or pressures I absolutely put upon myself. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think you just mentioned this a little bit earlier, you know, anxiety is not the problem in and of itself. Anxiety happens. It's what we do with it. Yes. That is the most critical thing. So, <laughs> Bridget, could you speak to a little bit about that, about what we do with mm-hmm. our anxiety? Yeah, because we're always doing something with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so I think a good metaphor is anxiety is a hot potato, right? Mm. And you don't want to hold a hot potato. You yeah. want to do something with it. You want to yeah. throw it. You want to do something, right? Because yeah. remember, we said it's a state of unease mm. in the face of real or imagined threats. So human beings are always doing something with their anxiety. Sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes not so good. So there's a simple way, or at least I find it helpful of remembering what we do with this hot potato of anxiety. And it's a way we can kind of check in with ourselves and see how is anxiety being managed both consciously and unconsciously. I call it the four D's of anxiety, right? So displace, distract, dissolve. Or deploy. Mm. Those are really the options. And the first two are not conscious choices. And the last two, they are. We have to choose to dissolve anxiety. We have to choose to deploy it. Okay. So let's talk about the first two displace Mm. and distract. Mm -hmm. Right. So leaders displace anxiety. We all do. What do we do? We have a hot potato, we throw it at somebody and we say, catch. Now, we don't ever consciously intend to do this. Like, I don't want to infect you with my anxiety, right? But sometimes that's what happens. And what we're going to talk about a little bit later is when it comes to leadership 
behavior, right, around communication, decision-making, dealing with conflict, when we're anxious, it definitely impacts those behaviors. And then people absorb that, right? So that's the displacing. Sometimes we distract ourselves because we're feeling anxious. Again, raise your hand if you like feeling anxious. No hands are raised. (laughs) So we do something that numbs our anxiety. And we all have our favorite ways of doing that. You know, it might be like "Hmm, you have this big project. You know, you have to get started on it. You're anxious about it because you're not sure where to start. And there's some stumbling blocks. And so, you, you know, you just... Instead of starting it, maybe you'll do a little social media scrolling. Mm. Maybe you'll get up and walk down, you know, the the hall and talk to some anything, but start that darn project, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or or maybe we have our glass of wine. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm I'm raising my hand now. <laughs> Guilt, guilty to actually all of that. <laughs> <laughs> and we all do all of that. Okay. Yeah. So what we want to do, right? What is more empowering. What fuels resilience more are the last D, the last two Ds, right? Dissolving and deploying it. So let so let's talk about those. All right. So dissolving anxiety. Well, I mean, the good news is that we can engage in activities that calm the nervous system. Yeah. And we've talked about some of those, right? Like six mm-hmm. second centering, mm-hmm. mindful breathing, just taking a a pause to stretch, to stand, to go outside and feel the sun on your face, exercise, prayer. I mean, there are a lot of things that calm our nervous systems, right? And Irvin, what's something that calms your nervous system? It is breathing and Mm. getting into kind of a a pattern breathing. I like what's called box breathing, Mm. which is really, which is kind of a pattern of threes, breathing in, pausing, breathing out, pausing. And that just really calms me down. It focuses me and just gives me that space. Uh, Love that. Little choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and six second centering for me is probably my go-to for trying to bring that anxiety level down a few yeah. notches. Right. So there's the dissolving and then there's the deploying and that's mm-hmm. where we face into a real threat with courage yeah. and with conviction. And we use our anxiety to galvanize us, yeah. to focus us. And And that's what anxiety is at its best. I mean, that's really why we even have anxiety as human beings, right? Can you think of a time, Irvin, when you were working with somebody and and they were experiencing as a leader a fair measure of anxiety, but they were able to either dissolve some of it or deploy it? Yeah, you know, yeah. So there's one that comes to mind certainly on the on the dissolving and and a little bit of the deploying added on was with Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. One of the things that was not one of their favorite tasks was sales calls. And yet they realized this is the lifeblood of my business. If I'm not reaching out, calling people, et cetera, and yet it was something they hated. So we began to explore a little bit about what's this hatred? Why is it? And of course, there was a whole story around this. And the story was about rejection. The story was uh-huh. that, that you know people didn't need me, et cetera. But it was causing massive anxiety. And one of the things that they came to awareness of was that they were really distracting themselves. So whenever a morning would come and they had to make a sales call, what would happen is that, Mm. oh, I need to finish this presentation (laughs) or I need to do this PowerPoint or I need to do, you know, and it was, they're justifying it as they were all wonderful things for their business, but it wasn't getting to what they needed to do. So we explored what was going on there. And 
one of the, the tools that we used for dissolving it that uh, she found really useful was reimagining. They kind of really go into imagining what, what, what would it feel like, what would it look like if you were connecting with someone and it was a really positive conversation. Hmm. And so that was helpful. And then the second thing was just a reframing in that, you know, instead of feeling that this call is, some, is, is going to annoy a person, imagine if you have something that will make their lives easier. So what you're offering, and this person actually dealt with conflict and uh, conflict uh, resolution, and, yeah. and think about the uh, the pain that this person is experiencing, and then just think about what you could offer them, and that really helped them Lovely. to kind of reframe, and then also just a little bit of a pause, and to really be aware of their tendency to distract, and they still don't love sales call, but it sure. is something something that that um, they have certainly eased their anxiety over. Yeah, that's a great example because what I heard in that was there was some distracting, right? Definitely yes. yeah. going on at the Definitely. beginning, right? Like I'm not going to touch this hot potato, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> yeah, totally. And there's some storytelling and and so forth, and then you know how you helped them was really to reframe the situation. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that later. So stick around to the end when we talk about that as a core practice. So I would just invite our listeners to kind of pause here and think about something that it could be creating some anxiety for you right now, right? Some challenge, some dilemma, uh, some source of pressure. And, and check in with yourself. You know, what are you doing with that hot potato? Because you're doing something. And in what ways might you be unconsciously displacing it to others, maybe distracting yourself from it? And how might you dissolve or deploy it? Yeah, that's, that's the trick. We can always be in that conversation with ourselves. Okay, so now, Irvin, I know that one of the things we're both committed to is grounding these conversations in neuroscience. Right? Mm-hmm. And fortunately for us, There is so much neuroscience (laughs) research being done now and so many interesting findings that really help us as human beings and as leaders, right, to manage these pressures. So what would you like to share with listeners around the neuroscience of anxiety and where it comes from? Well, you know, let me start with an example. I did uh, in the beginning talk a little bit about my trip to Ireland, and I was kind of the quasi tour guide there. So there was a little bit of residual anxiety going on about that. Will everything work out? Will it be wonderful? Mm -hmm. And on the penultimate day, I found myself waking up about 2 a.m. And there just was this little bit of anxiety about, will everything go right? This is the final day. And, and there's, it's, it's, there's a couple of things to do here. We're supposed to meet this tour guide. And will this tour guide be good? And, and uh, will we get to see enough of Dublin? And so I was just kind of thinking these things, all these self-imposed anxiety. And so I kind of twisted and turned and I thought about it. And eventually I got back to sleep. The alarm clank went off. We had to wake a little earlier because we had to have a COVID test to ensure that we're able to return back to the U.S. So I woke up. I was tired. I was kind of feeling, <laughs> I, you know, and I, I needed that those hours of sleep. Um, anyway, I got up and, you know, everyone was feeling good, excited about the day. We all had our COVID test. We went in to have breakfast. And I just ordered my big Irish fry, you know, mm. big Irish breakfast. The maitre d' comes over and he says, hello, sir, um, we need to speak to you for a minute. And so I got up and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, was breakfast not covered? Do we have to pay for this? I have all these other yes. stories. And we get outside of the restaurant and he goes, Look, I'm I'm sorry to inform you, but you've tested positive for COVID, and we need you to go to the room. And so 
I mean, it was absolute flabbergasting shock. I <laughs> did not expect, I don't know why I didn't expect it. It was a possibility, but I just didn't expect it. Yes. My heart sunk. Ooh. I could feel my, my, my heart, uh, you know, I was beating a, a cold sweat yeah. and, and, and just my whole body was, 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 was numb in this, you know, how do I, what do I do? And, and it was kind of, I could feel the shock for about five or six seconds. And then it was like, well, what do I do? Where do I go from here? What's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. So really, and it was, you know, it set in course a level of anxiety, you know, that lasted just, you know, for days afterwards. But I think that scenario really is a great gateway into looking at what neuroscience tells us about mm -hmm. anxiety. Because if you look at them, there are two different ways that anxiety actually begins. One is what we think about. So in this example, I woke up at 2 a.m. and here I am through my own thought process yeah. about what was going to happen, et cetera. Uh, all of that was causing my anxiety. The second was something was news unexpected, total shock. And all of a sudden my body started reacting without conscious thought, just reacting mm -hmm. to this threat because this yeah. was this news was a threat at many different yeah. levels. It was a threat to me personally about my health, but it was a threat to the group, et cetera. And I think what neuroscience tells us is there's really two different pathways to the origins of anxiety in the brain. One is the cortex-based, you know, this frontal cortex where our thought or higher reasoning. So we can get ourselves into anxiety just by thinking. And then the second is the amygdala-based, which is our response. You know, when we have a potential to threat in our bodies, the fight, flight, or freeze. Yes. And this is, this is what happens in our body. And, and so I think that insight can really help us really nuance anxiety and where the anxiety is coming from. It's fascinating because the amygdala-based anxiety is instantaneous, and I could hear it, right? It was your body took over. It was flooded yeah. with chemicals, and you know you were preparing to fight, flee, or freeze. And I think you did a little freezing there. I did a little freeze. It was a, there was a freezing, <laughs> and then there was a fight. I think it went through it all. It, it really yeah. was one of the strongest yeah. reactions I've, I've had uh, yeah. actually in many years. Yeah. And so that amygdala sensed a threat before your conscious mind did anything yeah. with it, right? So there was yeah. that. But then the, I mean, all of our listeners can relate both to that and then also waking up in the middle of the night with a mind that is racing mm -hmm. and we, and it just creates anxiety. I mean, and here's the thing that I think is so helpful for all of us to understand is that anxiety takes place in the brain. It yes. doesn't take place out there. Yes. It takes place in here. Yes. And that insight is really important. So Irvin, how does understanding that there's these two different pathways, right, to anxiety, how, like, how's that helpful to leaders? Well, you know, I think it's very helpful because I think understanding the genesis, where this is coming from, gives us a perspective to what's happening in this moment. So in other words, if we're experiencing, say, anxiety, which is because of our thought process and where our thoughts are going, that mm -hmm. gives us an insight. Well, then how can I engage my mind in a different way that might be giving me a clue to, to deal with this anxiety? 
Mm-hmm. Or if the anxiety is coming from our amygdala, if it's uh, a sudden and it, it means that we have to begin to engage to calm our nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I'm thinking of a quote there. Someone told me, uh, I think it's from one of the, the teachers in our Georgetown coaching program said, you know, the best gift that a leader can offer their followers is a well-regulated nervous system. Oh, so, perfect. <laughs> So knowing that we've been triggered, you know, knowing that, yes. that, that then we can, like you've mentioned, six centered, centering, breathing exercise. There are different ways that we can begin to intervene that can help us move away from the fright or the fight or the freeze into a more regulated system where we're allowed to engage the neocortex and the thinking mm-hmm. mind a little bit mm-hmm. better. Yeah, for sure. It's like once, once the amygdala has been triggered, you can't think your way out of the stress response. No. It's already a done deal. What yeah. you can do is cooperate with it and allow it to discharge, right? Yeah. Or engage in activities that help the nervous system to discharge that stress response. But you know, the cortex-based anxiety, that's when we think thoughts yes. that create anxiety. Yes. And then those thoughts and that anxiety may in fact trigger the amygdala. So we might end up having Absolutely. a trigger, right? Yeah, totally. And so what's interesting to me about this is that the cortex is a cause of anxiety, but it's also the seat of the solution to yes. anxiety, right? Yes. And, and so speak to that. Yeah, because really then that enables us to engage with our logic, our reason, our thoughtfulness. So, so often... The thoughts, the process, we don't have any basis in reality. You mentioned at the very beginning, we can, we can imagine threats mm-hmm. and when there's none out there. So in other words, we're able then to engage that thinking part of our brain to assess, you know, how useful is this response? Is yeah. this really a threat? Uh, does it really pose danger to me? Yeah. And then, you know, be more thoughtful in our responses. And in fact, at the end of our podcast today, we're actually going to show a, a practice or share a practice that will be able to kind of reframe and to change our interpretations, mm-hmm. which will really help calm some of the anxiety that we're feeling. Yeah, it's almost like we're suggesting that we become a bit skeptical of our cerebral cortexes (laughs) thoughts, right? Because we take them as fact. Yeah. But just by kind of introducing some curious questions, we're now helping to calm the cortex and activate the part of our brain that can also help us see more clearly, right? What's really in front of us. Yeah. 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 And and of course we all as as leaders and as human beings, we all have those restless nights, mm-hmm. right? That you spoke about. Even then, understanding that so much of what is disrupting our sleep and our peace is the cortex's interpretation. Okay, great. That is so, so helpful. So we've talked now about kind of uh, the how anxiety comes to us. We've talked about two different pathways. So no matter how it comes, it does impact us. It impacts our, our behavior. And I, an important question for all people, and especially leaders, to ask is, you know, how do I behave when mm-hmm. I'm anxious? And that can be pretty hard to see in ourselves. So Bridget, kind of what are some ways that leaders tend to behave uh, when they're anxious? Yeah, well, the first thing to keep in mind is that um, we always go to the extremes. Hmm. So, you know, when we're anxious, we're not nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I also think it's helpful to kind of 
hone in on a couple of behaviors rather than just leaving it like how do leaders behave when anxious? Because you want to be an observer of this, right? So Mm -hmm. let's talk about three areas that anxiety can affect in a leader, right? And that's communication. How do you communicate when you're anxious? Decision-making. What happens to your decision-making when you become anxious? And then what about conflict? When anxiety levels rise, how do you tend to respond to conflict? So let's take them one at a time and talk about communication. So obviously we're communicating all day long as leaders, whether it's on a Zoom call, in person, emails, and so forth. And when we become anxious, our communication may, let's say, become very abrupt and very curt. Like our emails are like two sentences. <laughs> People go, oh, what's up with that? You know, Or we become very long-winded mm. and we don't get to the point. Another way communication can be impacted by anxiety is that we might, we might just withdraw. We might shut down. But another person, when they're feeling anxious, might dominate the entire conversation. So the first question to our listeners is, what happens to your communication when you become anxious? And so, Irvin, I'm going to ask you that question. What happens to your communication? You know, it's interesting for me. I've noticed within myself, there's two different trends uh, with anxiety. One is with written communication. With written communication, I tend to delay or put off response. So if I have emails, if I'm in emails, then either I will write very short responses or not respond at all. And then the second, when I'm speaking, I tend to get louder. You know, I can get very loud. I get more animated. So I do. But it's interesting. My body language, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm not really directly, my voice is getting louder, but I can see that I'm not making contact. My eye, my eye contact is, is less than it normally is. And so I'm, I'm a little more protective, but I'm, I'm much louder and quicker and um, wanting to kind of, you know, get the mm-hmm. idea out there. Yeah, I can relate to that. So again, to our listeners, the question is, when you're anxious, what do people see in your communication? Right? Mm-hmm. And Irvin, I can relate to the whole email thing, because uh, if, if my inbox fills up, and mm-hmm. I have a lot of things going on and feeling a lot of pressure, I have a hard time getting in there and attacking that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about decision making because obviously leaders are called to make decisions. It's part of the job. And yet when a leader is feeling anxious, their decision making can definitely be impacted, right? So there's the one extreme of seeking the quick fix. Like, okay, I'm anxious. I, look, we got to do something. Let's fix this. And we act precipitously mm-hmm. without maybe enough understanding. Or we could go to the other extreme and resist deciding at all. Yeah. And kind of crave more and more and more and more information. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Irvin, where would you put yourself on those? Oh, I I am so a quick fix person. Mm. And it's interesting because for me, I interpret kind of the ongoing kind of the indecision, et cetera. And uh, and I just I need to shut this down because it feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it also opens a door, threat that that there might be new diversions or sectors. So I need to shut this down. So I'm definitely a quick fix person. Yeah. So again, it's just, if we can become that curious observer of where we tend to go with decision-making when we're anxious, then then we can kind of be like, wait a second, you know? And then the last area I think can be helpful in terms of how anxiety impacts leadership behavior is 
conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, nobody likes conflict, but when we're anxious, our default around conflict might come forward. And we may have an avoidance of conflict deep in our bones, right? And so the more anxious we are, the more avoidant we are, or we might want to suppress the conflict and appease it prematurely. On the other hand, maybe conflict, when it arises and we're anxious, we become more combative. We become more confrontational, right? And it's just interesting where we go. So observing those extremes around communication, decision-making conflict. Yeah. Irvin, I saw a smile on your face when I was talking about conflict. What was going through your mind? Oh, uh, well, come no surprise. I, I am a voider. And I know that goes, that's deep seated within me in my childhood in Northern Ireland. But, uh, but it's interesting, you know, I, there's a connection for me between decision-making and conflict. Because at mm -hmm. times I want to shut down this, I want to make decisions because the longer they're open, the more chance for conflict there is. And uh, so in a way, one is even linked for, for the one's linked yeah. to the other for me, but I, I, I very much don't. Yeah. I, a conflict for me is an opportunity for misunderstanding and for I catastrophize what could happen. And, yeah. you know, I've seen that, I've seen that, you know, in my leadership career, I've seen not addressing a particular, avoiding a problem. And in my mind saying, It'll take care of itself. But really what it was is my anxiety saying, just don't deal with it and yeah. hunting it off to a later date. And of course, it never solves the problem. Oh, for sure. You know, I'm thinking of a client that I worked with whose um, philosophy around decision making in just in, you know, <clears throat> normal times, right? Even if he wasn't particularly anxious was it's better to decide something and do something and then tweak it than to never decide at all. So he already leans that way. But then as things became more anxious in his organization, wow, he was just like, he would interrupt people and he would say, we got to do something, you know? And I, I could see that what was normally a very helpful uh, strength of his under the pressure and under the influence of anxiety, he displaced his anxiety onto others, right? Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the, the notion of what do we do with our anxiety? Well, we displace it in ways we're not aware of when our communication, our decision-making, or, or our management of conflict becomes infected by the anxiety as opposed to informed by it, mm. right? Yeah. So, well, so Irvin... You've mentioned a couple of interesting things. And earlier on, you talked about when you woke up at two in the morning, you know, that whole example, that there's an opportunity there recognizing if our cortex is the source of our anxiety, that there's an opportunity for us to employ a certain strategy, mm -hmm. right? And you yeah. use the word reframing. And I yeah. think that's the core practice we want to leave folks with, right? Yeah, the core practice today is is when we find ourselves in those situations where our anxiety has uh, what we've called the cortex-based anxiety. It's our thoughts that, and you know, we all give interpretations to different things. Each of us can experience the same, same thing happening to us, but we interpret it differently. And so what we want to try and do is this reframing. And basically, it's based on this knowledge that it's not the event itself so often that causes us problems, but it's our interpretation often. So here's how the practice would work. First of all, I want you to think about a current situation that you feel anxious about. Just give yourself a few seconds to think about that. And as you bring that to mind, 
it's possible to identify different interpretations, perhaps, that are causing you to feel anxious. You know, what's your thoughts or assumptions are you making about this situation, about the other people involved, or about the level or risk of threat, perhaps, that you're assigning to the situation? In many words, get curious about it. You know, you've decided one interpretation, but could there be others? And then do a little brainstorming to see, can you come up with some alternate interpretations of this situation or this event? Play around, notice that different interpretations can lead you to different emotional responses. You know, let's take the example of driving the car and someone cuts in front of you. One interpretation is this person's ignorant, they're bad, (laughs) you know? Second interpretation could be they've, they're late for work and they may get fired. A third interpretation could be there's emergency at home and they're trying to get there. A fourth interpretation could be someone has a medical emergency in the car and they're trying to get to the hospital. Hmm. And so then lastly, modify your interpretation. Pick the one that feels most realistic or accurate to you, but pick the one that makes you feel calmer or more balanced and in a more empowered state of mind. Now, that sounds easier than it is. And uh, our car text, uh, you know, has, it's very powerful in its interpretations. But the more that we can really take some time and to consider different interpretations. And once we, if we get into the habit of the practice of doing that, it actually becomes easier. Mm -hmm. And we can become a little more playful around that. And it'll become much more easier to see that we're putting too much weight into one interpretation. And in fact, there are many, many different interpretations out there. Mm, I love that. And I feel calmer just listening to that. Mm. I feel like when I get in the car this afternoon, (laughs) I almost want somebody to cut me off so I can practice. Instead of saying, you idiot, you know, know. hey, maybe Uh, there's an emergency. But isn't it just fascinating that we can work with our brains, not against them? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Man, we have covered some great territory. What were we going to say? I was about to say, you know, there is actually a reframing I did myself in Ireland. Mm. When the anxiety had gone and people had left and I was left, part of it is that I had to go into isolation in my hotel room in Ireland for until I tested negative. So it could have been there five or six days. But one of the ways that I really got through that was to reframe the situation. And in my mind, I said, you know, the universe, Ireland has something to say to me. There's, there's, it wanted me to stay for a little bit. (laughs) And the way I reframed it was that. And so can I take some time just to to really think about where I am in my life and what's the message that the universe wants to send to me. And I found that a little more calming, Mm -hmm. but it really helped me get through some of the anxiety. Yeah. And helped you to be resilient for how long did you end up having to? um... Uh, Six days. Yeah. So those six days could have been a lot worse had you not found a way to reframe the anxiety, right? Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. So, Gosh, we've covered a lot of territory in this conversation. Thank you, Irvin. I mean, we we talked about leadership anxiety in terms of like, what is it? And why is it just a part of the job description? And what do we do with this hot potato? And sometimes we do things that aren't helpful. And sometimes we can do something with that, that makes things much, much better, right? And then how does it originate in the brain, which I think is so fascinating. I hope our listeners 
remember this. Anxiety starts in the brain. It's not out there. It's in here, right? And then how does it affect our behavior? Because none of us are immune to it. And to continue to be good observers of how your communication, your decision-making, your conflict resolution is impacted by pressure, by anxiety. And lastly, remember this great practice that Irvin just introduced. Thank you so much. And Irvin, what is next up in terms of our our, uh, next episode? Well, next episode, we're going to look at the stories we tell ourselves and how they impact our decisions. The episode's called Once Upon a Time. Love it. We'll look forward to having that conversation with you, Irvin. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. And we look forward to being with you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>